Six years ago, the Sunshine Economy asked a group of Miami technology leaders to imagine what the industry could look like in the South Florida region in 2030. Dear Miami 2030, we owe you an apology. Dear 2030 leaders, I sure hope you are not reading Can Miami Become a Tech Hub headlines. Dear Miami 2030, by now I hope you're taking an Uber bus to the Marlins game. Maybe they've brought a World Series back to Miami. That was in 2015. I'm Tom Hudson. Today on our program, what those same people say about Miami and tech today. Miami has stepped up and into the technology world spotlight as venture capitalists and technology company veterans from Silicon Valley and elsewhere have moved to South Florida during the pandemic. It's all ahead after the news. Welcome to the Sunshine Economy on WLRN. I'm Tom Hudson. Thanks for listening and supporting public radio. Six years ago this month, I asked five people working and covering Miami's burgeoning technology industry to imagine the future. At the time, in 2015, Miami's tech scene was having a moment. Here's how we described it back then. For several years now, the technology industry in South Florida has been a mix of promise and proclamations. We've been listed among the places to become the next Silicon Valley even while many in the industry here resist that kind of hype. A few companies were attracting tens of millions of dollars from outside investors. There had been a couple of big buyouts of locally headquartered tech companies. Incubators and accelerators were working with small firms to scale them up. The Knight Foundation was donating millions toward tech startup efforts. It was a moment that was working to become a movement. Six years, a global pandemic, and one viral tweet later— The five people we spoke with six years ago are even more convinced that Miami's tech movement has arrived. COVID-19 sparked a migration of influential, high-profile technology investors to move to South Florida. Amid lockdowns, restrictions, and the ability to work from anywhere, these venture capitalists who once were tied to traditional locations like San Francisco and New York moved to the Miami area. And then a simple four-word tweet from Miami Mayor Francis Suarez in early December in response to one of those investors musing about moving Silicon Valley to Miami. The mayoral message from Suarez's personal Twitter account was a tweet that echoed South Florida's hospitality industry, but it was aimed at taking advantage of the moment. How can I help? asked the mayor. It has catapulted Miami's profile in the tech industry, and it comes after years of work building up the region's tech potential. Entrepreneurs and investors are working to create a climate of technological innovation here. Again, back to 2015. It takes the right ideas, the right workers, and plenty of money willing to take risks. What can we learn from the past as the technology industry hopes to shape a new future of South Florida? That future is now, so I reconnected with five of the people we spoke with six years ago. Back then, I asked each of them to write a letter to the next generation of technology leaders here. I asked them to imagine the South Florida tech industry of 2030, peer into the future. What should the economy of tomorrow know about today? Or back then, again, that was 2015. We're about halfway to the date we set, 2030, so we figured we'd check in with them again. Albert Santolo is the veteran tech insider. He has founded three technology companies in South Florida. His latest is called 8Base. 
He started it in 2017 as a platform to help other developers more quickly work on their software. I started our conversation last week by asking him to describe today's tech industry in South Florida. I think that the pandemic, though, and certainly the efforts of our mayor have uh, have really heightened it. I, th- I think that when you know other places around the country were shutting down and South Florida was one of the early places to sort of be open for business. People saw that as a way to escape places like San Francisco and, uh, and New York City. They come down here and they realize, oh, my God, this is a great way to live. You know, it's not just a great place to do business, but when you're not working or even when you're working, you get to enjoy all the wonderful benefits of being here. Did 8Base participate in that? Did you see uh, an influx of talent or interested capital or customers? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, we, you know, I have been doing meetups and whatnot with with people that are coming here from other places. Talked to a whole host of people that a month or two ago, they were in San Francisco or they were in New York or they were somewhere else and just loving it down here. We've been seeing our fair share of people talking to them and you know, trying to get a little insight on what's going on in, in these other places, especially San Francisco, you know, because I was always always surprised by that one. I mean, Silicon Valley is the, the center of the universe when it comes to technology and technology startups. So for someone to pick up, you know, from San Francisco and come to Miami is a pretty significant thing, much more so than New York. There's a critical mass question, and that had always been kind of the existential issue for Miami technology, the critical mass of talent, of customers, of capital. That's right. Which had been concentrated in Silicon Valley and other areas of concentration, biotech in San Diego and Boston. There's a little bit in Austin, Texas, for instance. But Miami never seemed to really have that critical mass. Do you feel that the balance has tipped? I don't know that the balance is tipped yet, but it's certainly tipping. I have a fair amount of experience in San Francisco and and New York, but certainly in Silicon Valley. I've always said to build a Miami startup properly, you have to have a foot in the valley and you should definitely be imitating much of what they do in the valley because it's it's the best place in the world for this. Do you think you still need a foot in Silicon Valley if you have a foot in Miami? I do. I do. Yeah, I still, I still think, you know, most of the concentration of this sort of stuff is over there. It, Miami trying to be Silicon Valley is a non-starter. We can talk about it, but any community trying to be Silicon Valley is a non-starter. It has nothing to do with Miami. Us trying to be New York is a non-starter. You know, New York is New York. It just it's sheer mass, you know, concentration of people we can't duplicate. We also can't be Boston because of the educational institutions that are there, you know, over hundreds of years, right? But we can be like Austin. And I, and so I wanted to understand that. I think that Austin did something that I've been talking about for years, which is Miami shouldn't be about core technologies. It should be about applications and certainly applications that are closer to home to us. Things that we see every day, you know, um, from a brick and mortar perspective, et cetera. How do we technology enable those? Miami has yet to, to do that, you know, in, at scale, in my opinion. But a lot of the behaviors I see are trending in the right direction, for sure. When you say Miami should focus on applications and focus on 
what it knows. Give us an example. The easy answer to that is think of the industries that we are, that we're leaders in, whether those be travel and tourism, real estate, transportation, import-export, things, you know, hospitality, right, uh, healthcare. These are all verticals that we're really, really strong in. So in 2015, I asked you to imagine the technology leaders of 2030. We're about halfway there, Albert. So let's listen to your audio letter from six years ago. Dear future tech leaders, I've been fortunate to be an entrepreneur in the technology ecosystem of 2015. The ability to start a company is a lot better than 2009 when I founded CareCloud in my kitchen. Apple's App Store, Salesforce.com, and Google are just a few of the innovations that revolutionize the way we live our lives. Most importantly, the pace in which technology is accepted today has greatly advanced. By now, I'm sure it has never been easier for startups to thrive. My advice to you is always be respectful of the industry and be a student of the game. Life is too short. Go for it or someone else will. Surround yourself with others who are there to execute your mission and vision. Be the best to attract the best. Most importantly, stay close to your customers' needs and values. If you're able to succeed in this, everything else will fall into place. I wish you the best in all of your endeavors and always continue to innovate. Best, Albert. I think most of that uh, holds true. What do you think? I think pretty good. I'm curious, do you think it's easier now halfway through that arbitrary timeline I gave you to start a business than it was seven years ago? It, it, it most definitely is. There's a number of reasons why. Um, I'll start with capital. Capital is really, really abundant. Your company was still two years in the future at that point when we spoke in 2015. It was, yeah. Although, although honestly, I had been thinking about this idea for at least a decade prior. Because as an engineer... And as an entrepreneur, I saw how inefficient engineering work was, software engineering work was. And I was like, there has to be a better way. One of the other things you mentioned in that letter to the future technology leaders was this admonition, go for it or someone else will. Yes, absolutely. You know, there comes a point in everyone's life where they look back and they say to themselves, what have I done? Did I, did I operate from a position of fear? Because we all do. We all do it some, to some level. Um, was I too conservative? And, uh, and really late in your life, you start regretting those things, I think. I'm not there yet, but, but you start saying, what if I had just gone for it? What was the worst thing that could have happened to me? I want you to apply that to the community here in Miami, which has been so grounded in real estate, tourism, and hospitality. Technology, you've been part of this for 20 years, has been bubbling up there. It's made a lot of noise in the past, still has yet to be a real significant contributor to employment lots of capital, but still not necessarily a real cornerstone of the local economy or the regional economy. Is Miami going for it? Yeah, I think we are going for it. I think success there as a community is on the horizon. We got to stick to our knitting and, and, and stay focused, not declare victory too early. Yeah, I think the community is rallying around this. Any community that doesn't embrace this is on the decline. We need to do this. 
I think uh, the pandemic has shined a light on this like nothing else. We, we, it's changed the way we view, we view the world, include, including that, we, that the world is flat. We can work from anywhere. We can access talent anywhere. That's going to favor the best place to live as opposed to the best place to work. That's Albert Santolo. His latest tech company is called 8Base. It's his third tech firm he's founded in South Florida. Still to come, one of the local venture capitalists who has been seeding and seeing the growth of the regional technology industry. So it's gone from just these funds and these activities to a much bigger vision of how we as a city are growing and developing. Welcome back to the Sunshine Economy on WLRN. I'm Tom Hudson. Thanks for listening. Today's program is about the present and the past. It's about one of the hottest topics in the technology industry, Miami. Two weeks ago, an impromptu Miami Tech Week brought together hundreds of people at events ranging from a coffee meetup outside Miami City Hall hosted by Mayor Francis Suarez to a morning bike ride that began in Key Biscayne. Within a few days, a formal Miami Tech Week was announced for next April, joining the region's other tech conference, Emerge Americas, in bringing together startup companies, technology industry veterans, and investors. It's the latest development in the fast-evolving regional technology industry. Notable tech investors from California and elsewhere have moved to Miami during the pandemic, bringing combustible attention to the region's abiding technology industry ambitions. Those ambitions have grown in the last six years since we asked a group of technology leaders to imagine the future. That was in 2015. We had them write letters to the tech economy of 2030. Melissa Krinsman was one of those. She's managing partner of Krillian Ventures, a local venture capital firm that invests in technology companies. We caught up with her this month. The last few months have been a whirlwind of activity something I never could have predicted, but couldn't be happier that it has occurred. And it is propelling us to the next stage of everything that we've all been working hard for in regard to the startup tech community. What has struck you most about working in the startup tech community for years and having this acceleration and spotlight attention really heat up in the last six months? So let's just step back and say that nobody could have predicted this. It was started with a tweet that Mayor Suarez put out there with no expectation of any return because all he was doing was saying, how can I help? The tech community has now changed forever. I'm seeing both newcomers here in to Miami who want to grow and, and plant, seed, plant um, seeds here and, and grow their companies. And we're seeing the folks who are, who've been here um, continuing to grow their companies as well and bridges between the two, hopefully. What's different this time for you, someone who has sat in the center of this attention and effort for a number of years? Is, is there is there something tangibly different? So I think in the beginning with um, the folks who were helping to grow the community, it was a more organic and you also didn't have any density, right? You didn't have we had one coding school at the time that then became two and three. Uh, we had one accelerator at the time, incubator, and now there are many. So, so we really 
had a very nascent community. We had looked at what the verticals are that we thought were going to be growth areas for South Florida. And those growth areas were health tech, fintech, and prop tech. And um, indeed, those categories have grown. However, we're now in a new phase and we need to look at what are the next gen of categories. So what was a very, I think, a smaller effort to focus on building tech companies has now grown into a broader tech community, but also really about how do you, how do you take a city overall and make it a next gen city and be prepared for the future. So it's gone from just these funds and these activities to a much bigger vision of how we as a city are growing and developing. So just to talk about the new verticals that we've been looking at, um, health tech is very much still part of that. Um, or med tech is a new word for it, so you can call it either one. Um, <laughs> FinTech has now become more about crypto. That's financial technology. Exactly. Yeah. And then climate tech is another area. If we can't tackle climate tech issues here in Miami, um, no one will be able to, because we have a backyard in which to do it, as well as universities, as well as talent, as well as folks who've already been looking at the issues for a long time. So we're going to shine a spotlight on that and bring more talent. As the VC in residence, as bridging those uh, individuals or geography or companies, take us inside some of those conversations and share with us, what are those like? Energy. I know that sounds silly, but there is so much energy and enthusiasm and desire to win. I, I know that that might not sound right. Um, and, and desire to showcase Miami. I think there's just this pride that I've seen about Miami here. I, you can feel it now, whereas I knew it was there. We all knew it was there. We were all happy to be here. It's a different level at this point. One of my roles is to actually answer questions from people moving here. And What kind of questions do you get? Um, they want to know about schools. <laughs> where can they send their kids to school? <laughs> they want to know um, where they can get talent, so tech talent in particular, and how to go about that. They want to know about housing, what neighborhoods to live in. They want to know who um, they should know. So if it's a certain vertical that they're in, who should they meet? And they want to make friends. So who are, you know, I've gotten the question like, so who, who are cool people that you know that we should meet? The questions are very pedestrian. They're common questions across the human experience, certainly in the United States and elsewhere. The human experience of wanting to be part of a community. People want the connections. You know, who should I know here in Miami? Six years ago, you were among the group of technology leaders that I asked to imagine a group of technology leaders in Miami in the year 2030. So that was a 15-year time space when I originally asked you to imagine and write an essay. So we're about halfway there. Let's listen back to what you had to say to those future tech leaders. Dear 2030 South Florida Tech Community, by now, I hope you're listed in a TechCrunch feature article as one of the top five U.S. cities to launch and grow a tech company. As the co-founder of a Miami-based early-stage tech investment fund, nothing would make me happier than shifting from a Miami-first to a Miami-only investment focus due to the maturation of our tech community. If Miami is on that top five list, it's because of the Knight Foundation's vision, the hard work of today's pioneers, high-profile events such as Emerge that showcase Miami and many determined and deliberate actions. It's also because, Miami, you've got heart, balls, and swagger. Heart means that entrepreneurs with successful exits have paid it forward. 
Their charitable giving is Miami-centric, and their time is generously given to mentoring Miami's next generation of entrepreneurs. If you've got balls, you've actively encouraged entrepreneurs to try again. No doubt by now there have been lots of failed startups, but the strongest tech communities are comprised of entrepreneurs who may not have made a home run the first time, but are encouraged to keep swinging. And here's how to get swagger. You continue developing and supporting local tech talent, as well as encourage local high schools and colleges to offer quality coding classes and connections to internships that further develop their skills. And then you brag about our homegrown talent. Here's to the next 15 years. Melissa Krinsman. Wow. Now, I did not have to bleep out that middle characteristic that you <laughs> spoke about, but Melissa, this is a family radio program. So how about it? Halfway in, do you check the boxes on heart, bleep, and swagger? I think we have it in spades, and we're just going to keep getting more of it. I, that, I'm, I'm blown away. I'm really blown away because I think that really summed up what has happened here. That really is it. I mean, we have all those elements here, and it just now is about time. It takes time for these communities to grow. And I've never felt that we needed to be on a fast train. I just felt like we needed to do great work. And now we're doing great work and we're on a fast train. That's Melissa Krinsman with tech investment firm Krillian Ventures, based in Miami. Still to come, a reporter on witnessing the regional technology industry through the years and today. I think overnight we got a lot of critical mass we didn't have before. Not that we didn't have great startups building, we did. This is the Sunshine Economy on WLRN. I'm Tom Hudson. Thanks for listening and supporting public radio. Stories of Miami and its dreams of becoming a technology hub go back to the last century, and Nancy Dahlberg wrote a lot of those stories. In the 1990s, when most of us were dialing into the Internet, South Florida took advantage of its geography as where the Americas meet, welcoming Latin America tech firms and offering a technological gateway to the continent for others. Those efforts mostly burst when the dot-com bubble popped. Dahlberg chronicled it as a business reporter for the Miami Herald. She saw the internet craze of the 1990s, the focus on startups in the 2010s, and as a freelance reporter now, she's watching this latest wave of attention and ambition. Dahlberg was one of the people we spoke to in 2015 about the regional tech industry, asking them to write a note to the leaders of the future. As high-profile tech investors have moved to the area during the pandemic, bringing new money, new know-how, and new aspirations, we reconnected with Dahlberg to hear what she thinks about today's technology industry in Miami. I would say we've seen a huge acceleration, not just this year, but actually starting about 2018. Uh, before that, it was kind of a steady growth every year. It took off to some, uh, in 2020 during the pandemic and with mayor's tweets. And uh, I think we've pretty much hit some critical mass that we needed. To what do you attribute some of that early acceleration to uh, a few years ago? I think it was a combination of uh, just a lot of groups getting together and really working on it. Everybody was just really into, you know, making this work. And every year we'd see improvement. We didn't see any backsliding. And I think that's really important. 
there was a great deal of attention and interest in technology in the late 90s here locally, but elsewhere. And of course, that was hit by the recession, the dot-com bust, and a lot of of retrenching. Give us that give that multi-decade look here. Yeah, I've been I've been a business reporter since the 90s in Miami, and we've seen our ups and downs even starting in the 80s, you know, with IBM. And then when IBM left, a lot of the tech left. Then we revved up in the 90s with the uh, LATAM internets all coming in and, and locating around Lincoln Road. And it was quite a scene there. It just fizzled out as soon as the, after the crash. And a lot of the startups either went out of business or went back to their um, home bases. That time it was more based on it seemed like to me market, you know, everybody was talking about getting rich. And I think that that was very market related. And I think what happened in 2012 on was very economy related. I think a lot of the groups and a lot of the organizations and the universities started to understand that we really need to diversify our economy. We need to build up the tech ecosystem and we started bringing in experts from around the country to tell us what we needed. Just kind of went by some of their playbook and also our own to kind of build up the tech ecosystem year after year because we needed to for the economy, not just for one sector of the economy. How's the stickiness this time around? I think it's going to be real, even if 30 to 50% of the people who said they were going to stay, stay. Even if it's just that many, it's still hundreds, hundreds added on to our ecosystem of prominent venture capitalists and founders and tech professionals with lots of experience. So I think overnight we got a lot of critical mass we didn't have before. Not that we didn't have great startups building, we did. Not only the influx of people, but also like SoftBank moving in and Founders Fund and moving in office here, those were huge milestones that, you know, we talked about in 2012 and 2014. Oh, it'd be great when we start seeing VCs moving in from Silicon Valley. Now we are. So I think that is a great sign in just in itself. These are deep pocketed uh, venture capitalists that uh, provide maybe not the early money for technology firms, but an important source of knowledge as well as uh, capital for these kinds of companies. Nancy, I'm wondering, the technology industry garners a lot of attention and has. It's done a remarkable job bringing itself uh, into the regional economic conversation and drawing attention to itself. What's the broader impact? Where should the community be looking years down the road for any kind of ripple effect from the time, attention, and uh, capital that's been uh, and it continues to be paid toward the technology industry? I think we're already starting to see some of it. We're starting to see um, our, some of our homegrown companies exit, like Nearpod's $650 million exit just recently was a huge sign. That's a homegrown company. Yep. So we're already starting to see that and their founders are now investors in Miami Angels and they're going to be mentoring other startups and probably starting new things of their own. So that kind of thing we're going to see more and more of, I think. As far as other things, we'd love to see 
um, big tech, tech companies moving in with their hundreds or thousands of employees, um, you know, big offices here. But maybe in the post-COVID world, that's not going to happen. Maybe in the hybrid world, it's going to be more like, you know, more smaller offices coming in, which we're starting to see now also. It wasn't that long ago that the local community, the regional community, was talking about uh, HQ2. Remember that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That was the second headquarters for Amazon when it was looking for uh, a second location to uh, to bring tens of thousands of jobs and hundreds of millions of dollars of investment. Miami doesn't seem like it lost a beat since losing out in that sweepstakes. It doesn't. It seems like uh, it, it may have meant to be, you know. <laughs> it may have meant to be that we're uh, – <laughs> growing the way we're growing and we're going to be attracting more companies with smaller offices. And maybe that's just fine in a post COVID world. In 2015, six years ago, I asked you and others to imagine the regional technology industry leaders in the year 2030. We're about halfway there. I want to play back to you, Nancy, what you wrote and shared with us six years ago. Okay. Okay. Dear 2030 leaders, I sure hope you are not reading Can Miami Become a Tech Hub headlines. As a business journalist at the Miami Herald, I wrote or edited my share of those stories going back to 1995. As I write this in 2015, the momentum has indeed been building toward that goal, though there are significant challenges. Not a week goes by that I don't see some headline that proclaims, Miami, the next Silicon Valley. That's not going to happen, and that's okay. It took time and a lot of work by smart, committed people. But by the time you read this, I feel optimistic South Florida will be a tech hub serving the Americas. It won't be like all the other tech hubs. It will have its own flavor, and we will have a couple of breakout success stories. I am optimistic that the region finally realized that to build this, it had to be truly inclusive tri-county effort, and east-west, north-south began working together toward that goal. We're stronger together. Nancy Dahlberg, Miami Herald. What do you think? I think I was pretty present. <laughs> I think uh, we got there a lot sooner than we thought. I think 2021 is when we're there, not 2030. And it certainly is a lot faster than I ever would have thought. Does it have its own flavor like you thought it would? Absolutely has its own flavor. We have to see how well the newcomers get involved in the community and all that and mingle. You know, so far we've seen some of that, but not as much as we'd love. But I think that'll come in the next year. I think as the economy completely opens up, there'll be a start of an intermingling we haven't seen before. Miami is always going to have its own flavor. It's not Silicon Beach. I hate that. <laughs> it is its own thing. And I think uh, with the attributes that we have, Latin America, being so close to New York, being so close to Europe, and the diversity that we have in our community already and the diversity we're bringing in is wonderful. I think uh, we're ahead of our time. Uh, the only thing that remains to be seen is just how much we grow. That's Nancy Dahlberg. She's a freelance business writer. Among the places her writing appears is RefreshMiami.com. Still to come, Miami Tech leans into cryptocurrencies. 
2015, I would have said it's unlikely that Miami becomes the, if not a center of technology in the country. And, and I think it's getting more and more likely. Welcome back to the Sunshine Economy on WLRN. I'm Tom Hudson. Six years ago, the word cryptocurrency was not in Webster's Dictionary. One of the standard bearers of the English language added the word in 2018. Today, South Florida is emerging as a center of digital currency. The Miami-Dade County Commission created a cryptocurrency task force last week. It will explore how the county could accept digital money for taxes and fees. You may have heard of Bitcoin. It is the best-known cryptocurrency, but certainly not the only one. Cryptocurrencies are not issued by national governments. They are a method of payment using decentralized technology known as blockchain. There may be no bigger sign of Miami embracing cryptocurrencies and the industry embracing Miami than the home court of the Miami Heat. Beginning next season, the basketball team's arena will be named FTX Arena after a cryptocurrency trading exchange. Justin Wales is the co-chair of the blockchain and digital currency practice at Miami law firm Carlton Fields. He didn't have that title because the role didn't formally exist when we spoke with him six years ago about South Florida's tech industry. We spoke with him again last week about how the regional tech industry has changed and leaned into cryptocurrencies. There's a lot of ideas in this space and a lot of people who want to try things that have never been tried before. And that means that there's a lot of good and there's a lot of not so good. You know, the difficulty is really trying to vet, well, what is really futuristic applications of very interesting technology and what maybe are just risky technologies that normal people shouldn't be interacting with. What is setting Miami apart? What's attracting that cryptocurrency crowd to South Florida as opposed to traditional sources of global capital in the United States and elsewhere? Traditionally, you'd think, where would these companies most likely be in New York and California? Um, New York stepped out in front of uh, virtual currencies a number of years ago with something called, we call the industry a bit license, a virtual currency license. Uh, and it just makes it very difficult for companies to operate in that state without first obtaining the license. And it's a slow and expensive process. This was a regulatory response that New York State had to cryptocurrency. A lot of companies that would have probably started in New York left New York. In California, um, you're dealing with, I think, very high taxes. You're dealing with a state government that isn't necessarily as friendly toward the idea of a digital economy as other states are. And then what happened is COVID happened and people realized you can work from anywhere you want. So Miami said, well, here, you know, come uh, and, and, and join us. And Miami has been fairly pro crypto. The state of Florida is fairly pro crypto and there's no state income tax. And they got everyone to come down in, uh, you know, January and February, which is when it's beautiful. And we'll see if they're still here in August. South Florida certainly has a history when it comes to currency, to put it politely. Uh, I can see you nodding knowingly. You know what I'm referring to, of course, with money laundering and the international drug trade and 
uh, even Medicare fraud. So how does the community, the tech community initially, but then broadly speaking, the South Florida area embrace this new frontier of digital borderless currency while at the same time saying history is not repeating here when it comes to how this region embraces currency transactions. Money laundering is mostly a function of, of, of cash and from privatized LLCs and from large banks doing things outside of regulation. So cryptocurrency and the use of cryptocurrency actually makes it a little more difficult to, to, to launder money because it's a blockchain. The, every transaction is, is traced. I think for those of us in the industry, I think that it's frankly kind of an overstated problem. That being said, all of the major companies that are coming to Florida that are operating in the space, these are highly regulated under both as both money service businesses federally and also, at least in Florida, for the most part, money transmitters, which require them to do AML, KYC compliance, know your customer. If you're dealing with a, com- a company, you need to know who the beneficial uh, owner of that company is. AML, anti-money laundering, KYC, know your customer, very common acronyms in the in the financial world. So, you know, it, it's, it's the same issue of, of anyone that's dealing with currency transactions. Justin, what's the opportunity for the regional economy for the cryptocurrency business? And I don't mean just using the currency as transactional, but in terms of the industry setting down some roots in South Florida. It's gigantic. You know, we've seen from what was happening in San Francisco over the last 30 years, we've seen what has been happening in, in New York for the last you know, 100, what it means to be the hub of a global center. These were unforced errors, right? California and New York should be where this industry grows and, and for things that they did uh, at, at a, a state level and to some degree at local levels, companies have have moved out and they're looking for a place. So to me, it's between Miami and probably parts of, of Texas, which are, are competing with being the most friendly big places. Wyoming is doing a lot of really interesting, great work from a regulatory side to attract people. But, you know, Miami is Miami and, and, and Texas has a, a big pull as well. I think when it comes down to it, it's, it's, it's jobs and it's a cascading effect on the quality of life and the infrastructure for the rest of, of the people in Miami. Right now, uh, if you have the biggest companies in this space, what does that mean? It's going to mean it's going to attract better quality engineering students to places like UM, but FIU. It's going to result in the city having to actually step up and deal with the infrastructure of a large new kind of uh, finicky population moving in, right? So maybe this results in better government. Maybe it results in more transparency. Maybe it also results in a train to the beach at one point, right? It's all of these things that we've been talking about in Miami for for years and years as we are the next global city. Well, if we're going to be the next global city, we need to have global infrastructure. And if this is what does it, then I'm all for it. In 2015, I asked you and a number of leaders in the technology field here in South Florida to write letters to the future leaders of the technology industry in 2030. So we're about halfway there, and I'd like you to hear the letter that you shared with us in 2015. I'm nervous. Okay. Dear Miami 2030, we owe you an apology. You see, we told a lie. Well, not a lie, but an embellishment. One that I'm afraid you're ultimately going to have to pay for. 
Back in 2015, the Miami tech community told a bunch of people, like everyone that would listen, that we're the next big tech scene. And we did it in a big way. We held conferences to tell people, huge ones, where people like Pitbull declared that Miami was making moves. Ballet. High-rises were built on our promise that the Silicon Valley would be replaced by a Silicon Beach. But things haven't happened as quickly as we promised. A year before writing this letter, we didn't even crack the top 20 in cities ranked by startup capital investments. You see, it's not that there isn't tech in Miami. Of course there is. Miami definitely has talented entrepreneurs and developers working towards building its tech scene. But they need time. And we all have a lot of work to do. Miami 2030, we're sorry. You can't live up to the expectations we set. And that's okay. Our hope is that by the time you get where you are, you'll have what we've been telling people we have now. Love, Justin Wales. P.S. Sorry about the rising seas. What do you think? Very prescient, right? A very. <laughs> I, I, I agree with everything I said, and I didn't remember saying any of it. Do you still think that uh, apology is going to be necessary? At the end of this decade, I'm 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 honestly I'm much more hopeful than I was in 2015. In, in 2015, I was seeing friends of mine, I was seeing clients, I was seeing people I knew who were absolutely brilliant leaving Miami to raise money. Ultimately, talent follows capital. Capital is definitely coming to Miami. Talent is coming to Miami, and and those are the recipes you need for for you know a, a real a real tech market. Maybe there's still going to be an apology because the hype is not going to be able to be sustained for, for another nine years. But, you know, in 2015, I, I would have said it's unlikely that Miami becomes the, if not a, center of technology in the country. And, and I think it's getting more and more likely. Miami cryptocurrency lawyer Justin Wales. Still to come, a Miami tech leader who's now with Twitter on the role of social media in building this swell of activity. I think it was a confluence of factors. I think we were all on some sort of device for the better part of the day, (laughs) for the better part of the last year. We're back on the Sunshine Economy on WLRN. I'm Tom Hudson. Vibrant, exciting, open. That's how Efredo Fernandez describes today's tech scene in Miami. He's been part of that scene for a decade. It's a frontier. It's a frontier, and we're a frontier town. That's what's so exciting about it. In 2012, he was a co-founder of The Lab Miami, a space catering to technology startups. He also helped start a business incubator and accelerator at Miami-Dade College and another one at FIU. He's now on the public policy team at Twitter, focused on federal and state governments. He has watched Miami's tech dreams develop through the years, and he's witnessed the role Twitter has played and generated attention to those efforts now. After all, it was a tweet from Miami Mayor Francis Suarez that helped spark this latest wave of activity that has brought venture capital investors and growing ambitions. We spoke with Weefy, as he's known, six years ago about what the future may look like, and we spoke with him again late last week. There's no other place where this could have happened other than Twitter. So it it was wonderful to see the mayor really use Twitter in in an incredible way um, to market, to engage with with folks that were interested in what was going on here. I think most folks would say that it's exponential, right? It's hit this inflection point. 
Um, maybe for some of us who have been doing the work a while, it's hit a few inflection points, but that, this one seems greater. And I think the moment is, is special and, and the people that it's attracted to the town um, and people who are really excited about contributing to the community and helping grow it. We've, you know, kind of hit a, a quantum leap in this, these last six months. What's it been like for you? Because you know the local industry and the players very well. Now you're at Twitter, which has been the platform that has helped feed that excitement. I mean, I, I pinch myself every day of being able to work uh, at Twitter. It's uh, It was such a part of my on-the-ground organizing in, in the early days. And it's, it's just special to see the Miami moment, I think. It's something we knew would happen. We just weren't sure when. And I think it, it took the last year for for people to to really think about where they wanted to be and how they wanted to live their life. And that's what led them to Miami. What is it about this timing now during the pandemic and the leveraging of social media that has happened in order to, I'll use a old school term, broadcast that message in places that perhaps hadn't been paying much attention to Miami. Or if they were, it was maybe not the right kind of attention that the region wanted. I think it was a confluence of factors. I think we were all on some sort of device for the better part of the day, <laughs> for the better part of the last year. You know, we've seen that, that growth on Twitter uh, and folks tuning into the conversation, uh, whether it's around COVID or the elections, or here, kind of local politics. And it just shows you how the mayor really just made that the platform for engaging with, with folks from all around the country who were just curious and wanted to know more. All right, you ready to go in the Wayback Machine? Sure. I guess maybe not the Wayback Machine. Well, I mean, it's only <laughs> six years, but yeah. it'll feel like the Wayback Machine. All right, so this is what you shared with us in 2015, this was your message to the Miami technology leaders of 2030. Here we go. Dear Miami 2030, by now I hope you're catching Wi-Fi on the Bay Link going from a wall cast at New World Symphony to an entrepreneurship workshop at the Idea Center at Miami-Dade College. Or maybe you're wirelessly charging your device on a solar-powered bench along the Underline or Ludlam Trail. Or taking an Uber bus to the Marlins game. Maybe they've brought a World Series back to Miami. In 2014, my friend Malik Benjamin, who taught innovation at FIU, said, Miami's in its teenage years and we're trying to figure out if we're going to be Britney Spears or Emma Watson. By now we know. Please grow with grace. Maintain humility. Be inclusive. Think long term. And make sure 2030 is the year Emma Watson settles down in the 305. Or at least books an Airbnb for a few months in the winter. Your friend, Weefy. <laughs> what do you think? Brittany or Emma, six years later? Uh, both and, and, and neither. <laughs> um, you know, Billie Eilish, perhaps. I don't, I don't know. My... <laughs> That's a more contemporary <laughs> reference, Weefy, yeah. Yeah, I, I think, you know, we're, we're hopefully always going to have a bit of this renegade attitude. And yeah, I, I think... I think we are growing with grace and, and, you know, I do hope the Marlins bring back another world series. <laughs> We've had new ownership since then. 
Um, and, and yeah, you know, the Bay Link is, I, I think, a note to our evergreen hope for, for better mobility and connectivity uh, in the city. You know, the underline is, is well underway with the first phase done. And I think it's one of the most exciting projects uh, we have going in the city. So um, I think we're, we're on track. We've set different norms as, as to how we operate as a community that value inclusivity, that value diversity um, and openness. You saw that in, in, in the wake of this kind of movement, uh, the community rally around a manifesto around inclusion. And so I think maybe for newcomers, it's different because we've operated on these norms and folks try and maybe implant a, a different operating system, but our operating system is resilient, I think. That's Wefredo Fernandez with Twitter. He's based in Miami. You can find a podcast of the program by searching Sunshine Economy on your favorite podcast app. Please hit subscribe. Joe Johnson is our technical director. Polly Landis is our booking producer. I'm Tom Hudson. Thanks for listening.